you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. We begin with the very latest on COVID-19. Joining us from the UCLA School of Public Health, Professor of Nursing and Public Health at UCLA, Kristen R. Choi. Professor Choi, great to have you with us again. Good morning, Larry. Let's start with the CDC's release a couple of hours ago of three large-scale studies looking at COVID-19 and the protective effect of boosters against the Omicron variant. It appears to show a great, great success in keeping people out of the hospital. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And we can maybe talk briefly through each of the studies because they were related but also a bit different. So one study really was about hospitalization. Uh, And what this study found was that for people who have a booster dose, uh, they are significantly less likely to be hospitalized, uh, specifically as a result of infection from the Omicron variant. Uh, And that study also found that those benefits are most pronounced for people who are older, uh, who might have risk factors for, for being quite ill and ending up in the hospital. Uh, The second study uh, really looked at infection uh, and how the booster affected infection uh, with Omicron. And what this study found was that people who have a booster are less likely to uh, contract the Omicron variant and get an infection. The final study uh, looked at level of illness for people who are infected. And what this study found was that people who had three shots versus two were less likely to have a severe illness course uh, and less likely to have symptoms of any kind. And, you know, taken together, Larry, these studies looking at hospitalization, infection, and and level of illness severity really suggests that boosters are extremely important uh, when it comes to uh, stopping the Omicron variant and and thinking about protecting our health. A lot of experts are now uh, starting to recommend that we need to think about full vaccination as three doses, not two doses. Uh, Unfortunately, though, we are still seeing pretty low levels of uh, booster doses across the United States. It's at about 40% right now of people who are eligible. Um, But very good evidence that those boosters uh, can provide a lot of protection. Do do you think that there should be a change in in definition of what's considered fully vaccinated to having a, a booster shot? Yeah, you know, this is a question that's receiving a lot of debate right now. You know, on the one hand, uh, because there is this evidence that it is protective, a lot of people think that that should be the case, that we should be looking at three doses. That being said, though, there are also other experts, and this is specifically folks from the World Health Organization and international uh, people looking at infectious disease, 
uh, feel like it is uh, premature to be recommending boosters because there are still so many places in the world where people don't even have their first dose, let alone their third, uh, and that we should be really focusing our efforts on the unvaccinated rather than additional protection for people who already have some protection. The other piece here um, has to do with, with children. Um, I, there are also people who, who feel that the risk to children, the benefits of a booster uh, may not be quite as pronounced as boosters are for older people. And so there's still not quite consensus about uh, boosters and whether they should be required, considered a full, a full course, um, et cetera. But this evidence, uh, certainly for adults, seems to suggest that they are important that people get. A few days ago, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that previous infection with the coronavirus appeared to provide stronger protection against the Delta variant than did vaccination. That was from a large sample of patients. So one wonders then, with such a big surge of people getting sick with Omicron, might that suggest that that natural immunity for those uh, who've had Omicron gets us far, far closer to this being endemic instead of a pandemic. Yeah, I think that's, you know, possible theoretically. Um, studies such as the one you mentioned, Larry, have been suggesting that people who have had a natural infection do have some protection. And actually, I believe in that study, the, the most protection was for people who had had a natural infection and also were vaccinated. But I, I think we do have to be cautious about relying too heavily on natural infection and natural immunity uh, when it comes to looking at the coronavirus. We know that there are a lot of risks to being sick with the coronavirus beyond just risk of being hospitalized or dying, uh, that some people have long COVID symptoms, cognitive symptoms, and other things that go along with being sick. And so when we look at the risks of infection and potential long-term consequences, uh, it's still preferable to get a vaccine and, and to avoid an infection and being sick if we can help it. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about messaging to the public. I'm just talking about the course of the pandemic, um, that if you have people who just aren't going to get vaccinated, but they get sick with COVID, it sounds like that's going to get us closer to getting out of this. Sure, absolutely. It, there is some protection from natural immunity. So so in that sense, yes, it, it, it's something that we might expect to see. We're talking with Professor Kristen R. Choi of UCLA. She's Professor of Nursing and Public Health. We're at 866-893-KPCC. You can also email us at atcomments at kpcc.org. Please include your first name and your location. Uh, that's uh, very helpful. I, I wanted to ask you about one of the three studies released Today, Professor Choi, that you mentioned showed that the risk of infection itself is higher for unvaccinated than vaccinated people because one hears this messaging out in the world a lot that, oh, people who are vaccinated have no greater protection against infection from the Omicron variant than those uh, who are unvaccinated. This study would seem to disprove that. Yes, that, that's absolutely correct. Uh, we know that there are many cases of people who are um, uh, testing positive for the coronavirus who are vaccinated and who are boosted. No doubt that is uh, that is happening across our communities right now. But when we look at what those rates and numbers look like at a population level, uh, you are actually still less likely to be infected if you are vaccinated and boosted compared to people who uh, only have two doses and certainly much more than people who are unvaccinated.
Kitty in Monrovia emailed to ask, is there any data on how many hospitalizations are a result of people who had to go in because of the severity of their COVID symptoms versus people who went in for something else and tested positive for COVID just because there's so much of it out there, but they were asymptomatic or had almost no symptoms? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, I'm not aware of any recent studies on that exact question, but anecdotally, um, I think we are seeing both happening. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people who are coming to our hospitals specifically because they have COVID and because they have serious symptoms, but also a lot of people who are accessing healthcare for other reasons and getting a test there, uh, testing positive and who might be asymptomatic. Uh, certainly when we look at hospitalizations, so outside of just those perhaps ER visits or, or urgent care visits, people who are actually hospitalized and sick, uh, a great proportion of those people right now are individuals with severe COVID, uh, but there are many people who do just test positive uh, because it is it is really spreading around in an asymptomatic way right now. I'd be so curious seeing those numbers because we got those yeah. early in Omicron here in L.A. County, I recall it was something like 60 percent were, were tests that were incidental to someone being in the hospital for something else, not that they went in with COVID. And it's extremely helpful to to have that statistic to, to know. Uh, Sarah in Pasadena emailed us, my daughter got COVID earlier this month. The rest of the family didn't, even though we were fully exposed to her. Does this mean we have had exposure and thus some degree of immunity to the full virus? Yeah. um, So in that case, uh, if you had a family member in close contact with someone who is tested positive for COVID, uh, that is considered an exposure. Um, However, it's difficult to know the degree of protection that comes just from a simple exposure. Uh, And um, the the guidance for people uh, who might have had an exposure or might be at risk of COVID still is uh, to get vaccinated and get a booster if you haven't already. And that's going to be the best way to um, to have protection. Uh, As we talked about earlier, there is some protection from uh, having an actual case of COVID and testing positive. But uh, I I would be cautious about relying on an exposure alone uh, to provide good protection. 866-893-KPCC, or you can email us. Please include your first name and location at atcomments at kpcc.org. Joe in West L.A., should someone who's already uh, had a booster look into getting a second booster after five to six months? Oh, this is a big question. I, you know, I've wondered about this myself. Uh, The answer is that we don't know yet. Uh, We don't really have good studies yet to know whether a fourth booster dose or even more than that um, are needed or or even effective. I think that there are, um, there are studies out there of this, of looking at additional booster doses. But I think that there is a consensus among a lot of infectious disease experts that it's not going to be sustainable for us to be boosting the whole population every six months uh, in perpetuity. So at this point, I think it's best to follow the guidance that we have uh, and to um, wait on data before we know if those uh, booster doses are needed. Uh, And hopefully we will know more on that soon. All right. Uh, You had mentioned earlier about, you know, concerns about Americans for lack of a better term, being over-vaccinated when uh, vaccines are not being widely distributed in many countries and and you have vulnerable populations. But is there any relationship between vaccines that are provided here to people and what's available in other countries? Because I thought a lot of the problems were about um, governmental distribution, other places, and, and not a matter that the U.S. is taking all this vaccine, therefore other people can't get it. 
Yes, that that's that's absolutely true. Uh, we're we're not in a situation where if you get a booster dose, you know, you're taking it per se from somebody else in another country who who could have had it. We don't uh, really have you know mechanisms to distribute uh, vaccines easily uh, to other countries, and so I wouldn't think of it that way. That being said, though, you know, there are risks to all of us when we have so many um, unvaccinated members of our community, and that includes the global community. Uh, it increases risk that the virus will spread, uh, that it will mutate, and that we'll see additional waves coming. Uh, and so vaccination uh, internationally is a priority for us uh, and something that, uh, as you mentioned, Larry, um, is a bigger international issue. Uh, but yes, yeah, something that does affect us here. 866-893-KPECC. Rachel in Los Feliz uh, said Dr. Gandhi from UCSF yesterday said that cisgender women have a better immune response to COVID because of their estrogen levels. But what about menopausal women? Rachel wants to know. Uh, I have not seen the um, specific study that uh, Dr. Gandhi is referring to there, so probably can't comment on that one. Uh, there have been gender differences, of course, in, in COVID, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that specific study. And Rachel, I think she was theorizing uh, more, more than saying that that was an absolute fact, because I'd asked her to explore the gender difference in serious COVID cases and deaths. So we were talking about a lot of factors, and so she was mentioning estrogen, but I, I don't think she meant to necessarily be definitive with that ah. statement. You know, and that's one of the things, um, Professor Choi, is, you know, I'm asking people to sort of, um, you know, to to think about this and, and, and to consider different ideas. But people are so hungry for definitive answers. You know, sometimes it, it's easy for people to hear that as as being absolute. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And I can understand that, you know, we all want answers and to understand how this virus affects us and, you know, our own our own risk factors. So absolutely can understand that. And, you know, I think that we in a lot of ways um, have gotten a lot of answers to some of those questions. Uh, there has been so much uh, data and science around COVID. It's, it's really, really um, one of the, the bright spots of the pandemic is seeing how much science that we've had and ability to answer questions that uh, we thought would take much longer than it did. But, uh, you know, this virus is changing. The public health context is changing. And so there are also still questions that we don't have good answers to just yet. What are your thoughts about European countries uh, beginning to accept that the virus is just endemic and, uh, you know, removing a number of the COVID protection measures, the UK doing that earlier this week? Do you think that... um, Obviously, we're not quite at that point yet. They're earlier on in the Omicron cycle. They're seeing the dramatic drop that we haven't yet seen. Do you think that if our experience mirrors theirs, that would make sense here? You know, I I do. Uh, You know, I think that early in the pandemic, uh, a lot of people thought that we would be able to um, put a stop to the coronavirus and that it would be a short-term thing. But I think that increasingly, there is consensus that the virus will be endemic and that we will have to live with this for, for a much longer time. Um, the World Health Organization has not yet declared it to be endemic. And, and certainly in the United States, we're not at a place where we could make that call just yet. Uh, we're seeing still a pretty severe wave of Omicron happening and a lot of uncontrolled outbreaks. 
Um, but I, I do think it is uh, prudent to, to think about that in the long term, about when we will know that the virus is endemic uh, and how we'll move forward, because it is looking like we will uh, have to live with this longer than, than just now. Shannon in Woodland Hills emailed us, I contracted COVID most likely at work. I've been working as a server and bartender at large events. Now that I'm in the clear, when I do return to work, will I be less likely to contract COVID and less likely to carry it to others in my family. Yes, uh, for people who have had an infection, uh, there is some protection from that infection going forward. Uh, that being said, though, I, I want to caution anyone who might have had uh, an infection, and we've touched on this before, that uh, that natural infection does wane uh, and that the best way to protect yourself is to also be vaccinated, even if you've had uh, that natural infection. But yes, it, it will reduce the risk uh, some. Uh, we are seeing many cases of people being infected with COVID more than once, so it's it's not perfect, but there is some protection from having an infection in the past. Jason in Los Angeles emailed us, can you comment on indoor air filtration and the use of fans? I recently contracted COVID while performing in a Los Angeles nightclub. The club was enforcing the vaccine policy, but the air inside was warm and stagnant. It seems to me if airborne breath particles are the main way of transmitting COVID, that places should have some kind of minimal air circulation and filtration systems. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we know that uh, coronavirus is airborne, uh, that is transmitted through um, droplets in the air and through breathing. And I think that this is one area where we uh, we have good science that we should be responding to uh, and that we should really upgrade how we think about air filtration uh, and ventilation in indoor spaces. Uh, we've very recently seen uh, updates coming out about masks, that uh, there are uh, medical grade masks, uh, N95s and, and surgical masks provide better protection than cloth masks. And I think it's important that we, you know, think about doing the same with other evidence we have about um, air filtration. Very important. Uh, let's talk, Professor Choi, about a new study looking at fertility and COVID-19 vaccines, as well as effect on fertility for people who've had COVID. What did this study published in the American Journal of Epidemiology show? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say first, this issue of fertility is one of the most common concerns I hear about vaccination, that people are concerned that the vaccine may, may somehow affect uh, fertility or, or childbearing. And so this is a really uh, important study. Um, what this study found, uh, it looked at a, a variety of different um, couples in the United States and Canada who were trying to conceive a child. And what they found was that uh, vaccination for either men or women uh, had no association to fertility or to their um, odds of conceiving. They also found though, that uh, when men had a COVID-19 infection, that that infection was associated uh, with risk for not conceiving. Uh, so in other words, there was no, no risk of having the vaccines on fertility, but COVID infection was a risk uh, for having trouble conceiving. And so um, I think that this research is really important uh, that people can be assured that there are no risks that we know of uh, to vaccination and fertility, um, but that COVID-19 infection, as we know, um, has a lot of potential risks uh, that, that we may see. Here we go again with men in COVID. Uh, we're more apt to be hospitalized, higher risk of dying, and now a potential effect on fertility from having COVID. Uh, so, um, Interesting how we see these gender differences and, and um, they, they don't aren't often favorable for men. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, really just underscores the importance of, of getting vaccinated and, and also getting boosted if you haven't already.
Uh, Sally in Topanga Canyon uh, asks about how to most effectively and safely change our masks. Can you comment about that? Yeah. Um, so when when we're changing masks, uh, you know, I, I think that the uh, ideal, like what we use in healthcare, is that we we use the surgical masks or N95s just once. I know that we have been in scenarios where masks are quite constrained and, and we needed to reuse them in some cases, but I, I think the supply of masks has include, improved greatly. And if you can uh, reuse the mask just once, that's that's the ideal. Uh, and when removing a mask, uh, you know, certainly um, you want to be uh, in a well-ventilated area. Uh, if you are, for example, uh, if you have a family member who might be quarantining or are in an indoor space where there's more risk, uh, if you can wait to demask until you're outside of that high risk area, uh, and then removing the mask, throwing it away, washing your hands is uh, kind of the, the process there, um, and avoiding touching your, your mouth, your face to the greatest extent that you can, as we know that that can also um, increase risk of virus spread. Now, for those of us who don't wear a mask all day long at work, I'm alone in a studio, and and so I wear a mask when I walk out of the studio, but otherwise I'm generally unmasked. So I wear my N95 more than once because it airs out and it doesn't get heavy use. Is that okay? Yeah, you know, I, I think that if um, you're not wearing it, you know, all day, all day long, as we might see in a hospital setting, you know, when I go to work, I'm wearing an N95 for like 13 hours. hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's reasonable to, to reuse it if you're only wearing it for a short period of time. And of course, if you can, when you're not wearing it, and you are alone, you want to try to keep it clean, dry, you know, um, and, and not, you uh, not in a place where it's going to be um, uh, dirty and, and need to be replaced. 866-893-KPECC. Uh, Sally in Topanga has uh, a second question. I was told as a fully vaccinated person who now has symptoms of COVID to wait five days before getting tested. Is there a longer wait time for being tested for the vaccinated versus unvaccinated? Um, yeah, that I, I believe that guidance is because uh, if you if you test, you know, very early, uh, some of our tests may not necessarily pick up that infection. That's especially true for some of the rapid uh, antigen tests that are not quite as sensitive as a PCR test. If you are at the point though where you have symptoms, uh, you know, it, it is recommended that that's that's a good time to test. And so even if you're not quite at five days, I think if you have symptoms, uh, it's fair to go ahead and get a test. All right. 866-893-KPECC. Sander in Long Beach emailed, say, I've not heard anything about the symptoms of inner ear infections or the risks of transmissions from these kinds of infections. Uh, We've got a National Institutes of of Health article uh, which says researchers found uh, SARS-CoV-2 can infect inner ear cells, which could explain the hearing and balance issues in some COVID-19 patients. That's interesting. I, I hadn't read about that till I just saw that from the NIH. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I, I this is also my first time hearing about this study, so I, I can't comment on it too much, uh, except to say that I think there's increasingly evidence that COVID can affect many, many different areas of our bodies and affect our health in many different ways uh, beyond just kind of the respiratory effects that we thought it initially had. So, uh, yeah, it's not surprising to see these studies um, of how it's affecting different parts of our bodies. Linda in Huntington Beach emailed us, I had COVID with terrible headaches over three weeks ago. I'm recovered, except I'm getting headaches still. Is this long COVID? 
Yeah, uh, that's that's possible. Uh, you know, the science of long COVID is still uh, still we're still learning about it. What exactly it looks like, how long it lasts. Uh, but we do hear these cases of people who have had COVID and do have those longer term symptoms. Uh, so it certainly could be uh, could be related to the infection. Jennifer and Altanina asks, what's being done for people who have received one shot but can't get a second due to having a severe reaction to the first? Are carve-outs being made in the mandates for those who medically can't get vaccinated? Jennifer, I, I know that for some of those who've been granted medical exceptions, that there has been testing in lieu of being fully vaccinated. Professor Choi, um, what information do you have for Jennifer? Yes, absolutely. Uh, really, every vaccine mandate that I've seen does have uh, medical exemptions, uh, and so that if someone has uh, for example, a severe allergy to, to one of the vaccines or, or a very serious reaction, uh, there are exemptions in those cases. And, and as you mentioned, Larry, for people that can't get vaccinated because of a medical uh, contraindication, there usually are requirements for regular testing and, and masking for those people. All right. Uh, let's see. Barbara in Laurel Canyon says, I was scheduled to get my booster A day before I was supposed to go, I started having symptoms and tested positive for COVID. I'm now testing negative, but I'm curious, um, for when should I reschedule my booster? I've gotten different advice from different people. UCLA told me 30 days after the negative test. I heard from uh, someone else um, uh, that I don't need it because having COVID acted as a booster. Someone else told me 10 days after a negative test. Barbara, that's got to be so frustrating. Uh, Professor Choi? Yeah, absolutely. It is frustrating to get that conflicting guidance. And uh, I think part of the reason for the conflicting guidance is that we we don't know exactly what is exactly the right amount of time if you do get that infection uh, and how long you should wait to, to maximize the booster's effectiveness. Um, you know, I think that uh, the, the best evidence we have is that spacing it out a bit is helpful. So I think that, you know, waiting uh, the 30 days as, as you were rec- recommended by your provider is probably uh, a good approach. Um, and, and that's because when we do increase the spacing in between doses or in between infection, it just increases the effectiveness of the booster. So I think that waiting that 30 days is probably a good approach. Uh, and again, I know this comes up all the time, but I, I hope that we will have uh, more data to answer these very specific questions about timing as, as we move forward. Laura in Pasadena said KN95 masks are required at my kid's school, but they're really expensive. Boy, they sure are, Laura. I've heard that you can dry them out in a brown paper bag for a few days and reuse them. Is that okay? Yes, uh, that that is okay. Um, we uh, were doing that actually at the beginning of COVID for healthcare workers uh, would be given a few for you know a week or so, and then would have to dry them out and reuse them. Obviously, you know those masks are really intended to be for single use. Um, they, if you if you are able to have a new mask for each day, that's that's ideal. But I do understand that uh, they are expensive and there are constraints on masks. And so, drying them out in a paper bag is an okay approach if uh, that's if that's um, if masks are limited in supply. Kimberly and Tustin emailed us. My boyfriend and I are both boosted, but we tested positive for COVID last week. He had very mild symptoms but mine caused me to stay in bed and miss work several days. Why, if we're both boosted, did I get worse symptoms than my boyfriend? Is my immune system weaker? 
Yeah, you know, this is such a difficult question. We we see this often when we have COVID infections happening in the same household that uh, people will be different in how how sick they are and uh, how much they're affected. Uh, there are even cases where one person in a household will be infected and then others will test negative. And I, I think the the best answer is that you know this this infection really affects all of our bodies differently. We all have different uh, immune systems and immune response. And, um, you know, it, we just see this heterogeneity in, in the virus. Um, you know, I think that it's great to hear that you both are vaccinated and boosted. That's, you know, the best protection you can have going forward. Um, but yeah, there, there is just this variability that we see. And, and that's kind of just part of um, how, how viral infections go and how they affect people differently. And we see this with other illnesses, with flu and with colds. One person, same degree of exposure will get, you know, very sick and other person have mild symptoms or, or or be asymptomatic and so hard to figure out all the different things that are at work uh, with that. I always wonder, for example, if I get it, my wife didn't, was I more fatigued? Was it because I slept less well? Or, you know, you, there are just so many moving parts to that. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And again, I hope that we'll understand more about uh, this infection and, and uh, you know, how it affects how it affects us going forward. I want to thank you again, Professor Choi. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. And thanks as well to all your colleagues at UCLA. We appreciate you very much. Of course. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.